Thank you for listening to The Leader. And remember, you can subscribe through your podcast provider and please do share us with your friends. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. British people in China's Hubei province are being encouraged to leave as the coronavirus spreads, if they can. Well, Wuhan's an enormous city. It's the same size, roughly speaking, as London. And the controls that are now in place in Wuhan are the equivalent of effectively trapping Londoners um, within the M25. Economist and Evening Standard columnist Stephen King's recently back from China. He speaks to the leader about the impact of a global pandemic. Also, we're not going to starve. And we're not just going to eat potatoes and lentils and tins of things we put in the cupboard because the government bizarrely spent much of the last year telling us to buy tinned food. In the week the UK leaves the EU, our associate editor Julian Glover explains how Brexit could change the way we eat for the better. And... As NBA Commissioner Adam Silver put it, he'll be remembered most for inspiring people around the world to pick up a basketball and compete to the very best of their ability. Sport correspondent Matt Bajendi on the legacy of Kobe Bryant, one of the world's greatest sports stars who has died in a helicopter crash. Taken from the Evening Standard editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Stephen King talks to us about coronavirus. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. America and France are telling their citizens in China's city of Wuhan to get out and helping them do so. It's where the coronavirus is believed to have started in a market. The UK, though, is only offering to make the option to leave available for British nationals. Our editorial column says more help should be given. For the 11 million Chinese people in coronavirus-struck Wuhan, this is a worrying time. For foreign citizens in the city and their families, it is particularly alarming. Quite rightly, they expect advice and help from their governments. We know that's not easy to provide when the infection is spreading and travel restrictions are in place. But that makes it all the more important that embassies step in to help. 
The Foreign Office says it is making an option available for British citizens to leave, but many of those there seem to be in the dark about the plans. Meanwhile, France says it has plans for a direct flight. Japan is planning to evacuate its 560 citizens there, and the US is acting too. It's vital that our government does not leave British citizens behind in this crisis. Well, The Economist and The Evening Standard columnist Stephen King's written about coronavirus and other pandemics for the newspaper today. He's joining me from his home. Stephen, you were in China just a couple of weeks ago as this virus was beginning to emerge. Was there a sense of something big about to happen? Uh, nothing whatsoever. Um, at the time when I was travelling in China, um, there were no signs whatsoever of any kind of coronavirus or anything related to it. Uh, it was just a normal trip to China um, in totally normal conditions, as it seemed at the time. So this has come, when it came, it came really, really fast then? Yes, I think it did. Um, and uh, I think it's the nature of these kinds of things that people are not quite sure what's happening initially. But of course, as we saw with SARS back in 2003, uh, once something is identified, it seemed to be a significant threat. Controls and, and barriers begin to be... Uh, put up, which um, stop people from moving. So obviously we're, we're dealing with things that we've seen before, but um, in our modern society, there are ways for diseases to spread much, much faster. And I think one of the issues is that Wuhan as a city is pretty sizable in itself, isn't it? Well, Wuhan's an enormous city. It's the same size, roughly speaking, as London. Um, and the controls that are now in place in Wuhan are the equivalent of effectively... Uh, trapping Londoners um, within the M25 and preventing them from from leaving. Uh, And also, of course, uh, Wuhan has cut back dramatically on private transport, so very few cars are travelling around the streets. Um, People describe this very much as being a bit of a a ghost town. But um, one of the kind of peculiarities of of the modern era, of course, is that we live in a very globalised world. And that's great in many, many ways because, of course, the connections mean we have much greater efficiency in which resources are allocated. We tend to have much higher, better living standards than might otherwise be the case. But uh, when you've got a virus, uh, of course, it's those connections that can help it to spread um, incredibly quickly. So looking at uh, a normal day in Wuhan, when you haven't got the virus um, at work, um, the number of flights that are departing from Wuhan is pretty extraordinary. Um, And going to all sorts of different parts of the world. So you've got uh, around about 12 flights per day to Shanghai, about 10 or so to Beijing. But then you've got also flights to Sydney, uh, to Thailand, to Taipei, uh, to Istanbul, to Moscow, and and indeed to London. Um, So um, the connections are already there, and that means, of course, that uh, people who might be potentially carriers of the virus might already have carried it uh, beyond the confines of Wuhan. And once it's out, once it's broken the confines of a city, as we know that the coronavirus has done, it's been picked up in places around the world, How easy is it for it to spread even faster? When the SARS virus broke out in 2003, I think that the the fears of what that might deliver were far greater than the eventual outcome, although the outcome itself was pretty tragic in terms of lives lost. Nothing like as big on a scale compared with, say, the Spanish flu or indeed, indeed the Asian influenza of the 1950s or the Hong Kong flu of the late 1960s. So um, certainly the constraints that were imposed, um, particularly in Asia during the SARS crisis, actually prevented it from spreading uh, particularly quickly. Um, but what I think is worth noting is that given that we live in this kind of globalised world, as soon as you try to contain a virus by limiting the spread of people, um, then inevitably there are 
potentially quite sizable economic cost. Now, these are economic costs, of course, that are worth bearing because you absolutely want to contain the virus, but uh, you end up with economic dislocations of one kind or another that effectively limit trade, uh, that limit um, uh, gains in living standards, and in some cases can put living standards into reverse for a period of time. And we're seeing those economic costs already, aren't we, in the states of things like the markets taking a dip as a, as a genuine consequence of coronavirus? Well, the oddity, though, is, is this, that coronavirus may be imposing some kind of restriction, but uh, actually most of the restrictions we're seeing on trade at the moment are, you might describe as, as man-made, I suppose, because uh, the last couple of years have been years of ever-increasing protectionism, uh, the barriers and borders that disappeared during the golden age of globalization have been slowly rebuilt. It's partly associated with the trade dispute between China and the US, but it's also coming through in other countries as well where protectionist barriers have been rising. So the oddity here is that much of the damage that we've seen in terms of world trade predates the coronavirus and is a consequence of our own actions rather than the actions of a virus. Next, we need to get the rules right. That's the tricky thing this new bill is trying to do. It's one of the few areas where you can really see a potentially positive outcome from what's about to happen with Brexit. Julian Glover on how Brexit could make our diets healthier and the environment cleaner. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. This week, the UK leaves the European Union and a lot of change is going to come. One of those things could be the way we eat and it could be a very good thing for both our health and the environment. Our associate editor Julian Glover has written about this for the Evening Standard and he's with me now. Julian, Brexit's coming. Are we all going to starve? We're not going to starve and we're not just going to eat potatoes and lentils and tins of things we put in the cupboard because the government bizarrely spent much of the last year telling us to buy tinned food in case we ran out of it. But we are going to eat differently, and I'm really optimistic. If there's one thing that I think Brexit might actually make better, it's the way we eat, the way we grow food, and the effect on the environment. How? Because Brexit will allow us to leave the common agricultural policy, the European Union system that supports farming. Some good in that system helps farmers survive. But the bad in the system is the environmental outcomes it's produced have been absolutely catastrophic. So the government published a bill last week. It sets out in very clear terms that the government's going to be buying what they call public goods. That's a slightly odd phrase, but it effectively means things that we can all benefit from, not private things where you're giving somebody some money for a single thing, but things that we all gain from, like clean water, storing carbon, more trees, birdsong, a better environment, things that we want, but which are quite hard for any individual landowner, any farmer out there to actually make a profit from. So the challenge is that we shift farming to become better for nature. We don't stress the landscape out too much by overgrazing it. We're respectful of meat when we eat meat. We don't eat too much. And we pull all this together in a new way of looking after our landscape, which produces a much better outcome for nature 
better food and healthier people. Are farmers, are consumers ready for this kind of change? I think consumers care a lot about what they eat, up to a point. People often think they're very healthy. They think they're they're very conscious of animal welfare. And then they might order takeaway food, but they don't ask where the chicken came from. And chicken is not a great thing to eat when it's processed, not particularly well produced and fed on soya. Um, as a as a as a feed which which is often imported maybe comes from places where big environmental destruction and heavy chemical use but people sometimes think if it's chicken if it's a chicken breast it doesn't really feel like meat it's a bit healthier so people perhaps want to do the right thing they don't always know what the right thing is and there is quite a strong feeling that meat production isn't right lots of young people don't want to eat meat and i can understand why it's not of course compulsory to eat meat but i want them to understand that lots of meat production in britain can be very good for nature and good for the animals. It isn't It isn't um, the industrial form of food production that you see everywhere in the world. But if we damage our farming too much, we could end up importing a lot from other places where the production standards are lower. That, of course, is one of the things that might happen with a trade deal with the US, the famous chlorinated chicken. Now, the reason for the chlorine is actually that the welfare standards are lower, the health standards are lower. You need to kind of kill kill the gunk on the on the meat before you eat it to make it edible and not and not poisonous good production of food in the us too it's not all bad but if we have lower welfare standards lower health standards of imported food we're not going to end up with a better landscape and we're not going to end up with a healthier population so we need to get the rules right that's the tricky thing this new bill is trying to do um, and the government is certainly working hard at it it's one of the few areas where you can really see a potentially positive outcome from what's about to happen with Brexit. And you can read more on that story online at standard.co.uk slash comment. Now. Thousands of Kobe Bryant fans flocked to the LA Lakers home at the Staples Centre in Los Angeles to pay tribute to one of basketball's greatest ever players. The 41-year-old's death in a helicopter crash, along with his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, has stunned the United States and sent the global sports world into shock. Evening Standard correspondent Matt Magendi has been looking at Kobe Bryant's life for the paper and Matt, he's left behind an enormous legacy. When he retired from the sports after 20 years with the LA Lakers, he'd already left a huge legacy behind in terms of the wins and the records, but also inspired a generation to play the game. As NBA Commissioner Adam Silver put it, he'll be remembered most for inspiring people around the world to pick up a basketball and compete to the very best of their ability. In retirement, he was continuing to share his love of the game, in opening his own sports academy aimed at guiding a next generation of players. And he was also acting as, as an advisor to the women's NBA team, Los Angeles Sparks. But also it's not just his legacy in basketball, but wider sport as one of the superstars of his time. And you can see that in the flurry of emotional tributes to have come in from global superstars, ranging from Tiger Woods to Lionel Messi. The LA Lakers were due to play their city rivals, the Clippers, next. Is that game going to go ahead? As things stand, yes. In fact, no NBA games have been postponed as yet, um, but there have been a variety of different tributes at those games to a player who's left an indelible mark on the sport worldwide. And it looked like his daughter was going to follow in her father's footsteps on the basketball court. Well, she was only 13 years old when she sadly lost her life alongside her father in the helicopter crash, but already she looked a very promising player. There was plenty of footage of her playing against her father or else with her teammates, and he was also the coach of that team. Quite whether she would have made it on the biggest stage remains to be seen. But when he was interviewed on the subject, he very proudly uh, made it clear that she was destined for the WNBA.
And that's the leader. Please do subscribe, rate, comment and share wherever you get your podcasts. And also try out our audio news bulletins. You can get them every morning through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. The leader is back tomorrow at four.